Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 81, Looking Back on Ottoman Domination, Part 1. First, I have a few quick announcements. There are new patrons, Alexander Angelov, Lubomir Dimov, and Aneta Stefanova. Thanks so much, all three of you, to your donations or Patreon uh, pledges. But bigger than that, uh, I want to kind of just quickly mention that, sorry that these episodes are a bit late. It's right at the end of the month. I had some mouth surgery that is making it kind of hard to talk. Even now, I can't like speak that normally, but I hope you won't notice too much of a difference. Um... Besides that, as always, just consider pledging. Uh, I, I had a wonderful time meeting a few American listeners who were visiting Sofia two weekends ago, and they were sort of laughing at me for not pushing people to donate or to pledge more. But, you know, I just want you guys to enjoy this podcast. If you can pledge, you pledge. But, you know, I'm doing this more for, for the creation of the thing. So just a little quick note out there. If you can, I'd really appreciate it. It really does help a lot. You can see I'm trying my very best to invest everything I can back into the show and really improve it. But let's get into it. So last time, we took a broader look at the experiences of Bulgarians and a little bit on Roma within the first two centuries of Ottoman rule. Today, we're going to recap the first half of the history that we covered in the last season. Now that season began in 1396, when, following the disastrous ending of a crusade against the Ottomans at the Battle of Nicopolis, the final bastion of the Second Bulgarian Empire at Vidin was conquered and fully incorporated into the Ottoman Empire. With that, Bulgaria's last true Tsar, others, including the King of Hungary, will claim the title for a few centuries, but the last real Tsar, Ivan Stratzimir, was killed. The following year, the Ottomans, under Sultan Bayezid, attacked Wallachia to punish them for supporting the Crusaders, but were pushed back. They would try again three years later with similar results. But as the Ottomans eyed their next conquests, they used divide-and-conquer tactics. In the Byzantine and Venetian territories of southern Greece, remember the Byzantines are still around, protected up to this point by their many fortresses and very tough terrain, the Ottomans used these tactics in isolated Byzantine territories by making themselves invaluable trade partners for the Venetians, dividing the territory internally and preventing it from kind of uniting against them. In Bosnia, the nobles who ran what was left of the country were also divided against each other by the Ottomans. They didn't even have the support of the Hungarians as they took advantage of Bosnia's disunity to conquer northern Bosnia, making it even easier for the Ottomans to advance into southern Bosnia. Still, the main Ottoman focus at this moment was in Anatolia, as Bayezid spent 1397-1398 to conquering Turkish Beyliks there. In doing so, he violated a peace agreement with the leader of the Turkified Mongolian tribe led by a man named Timur, who ruled a sort of massive empire stretching from Central Asia to the Ottoman border. Timur demanded tribute from Bayezid and was refused. In response, he declared war on the Ottomans and Mamluks in 1399, 
the Mamluks because he feared that they would join against him anyways, and, well, they were weak at the moment, so why not? He spent the first three years cutting the two powers off from each other by conquering Syria. That same year, the Hungarian king Sigismund was overthrown, but the Ottomans were too distracted to really take advantage of the situation. Bayezid and Timur finally moved to meet each other in Anatolia in 1402. Bayezid refused to use the terrain to his advantage and was therefore outmaneuvered by the Timurid force. The Ottomans were devastated and, refusing to retreat, Bayezid was captured while his sons escaped. Timur advanced onto Izmir, conquered it, restored the Anatolian Beyliks, and installed Bayezid's son Mehmet to the throne before returning home to Central Asia, dying on the way. The Ottomans had been weakened, but they were ready to bounce back now that the Timur threat was gone. Still, a civil war now began between Bayezid's sons. The Serbian despot Stefan Lazarevich, after surviving the Battle with Timur, also returned home to Serbia and tried to assert more independence from the Ottomans by allying with Hungary. But the two living members of the Bulgarian royal family saw this moment of Ottoman weakness and launched an invasion aimed at provoking an uprising against them. Despite some initial success, Suleiman, the son of Bayezid based in the Balkans, crushed the potential uprising. This showed that even in a weakened state, the Ottomans were still formidable. But the civil war raged on between the four living sons of Bayezid. Suleiman signed a deal with the Byzantines and Stefan Lazarevich, giving major concessions for them not to interfere in the civil war. In the meantime, the son Timur had elevated Mehmet, defeated his brother, and now dominated Anatolia. The remaining brother had allied with Mehmet, bringing the situation to two factions, one in Europe, one in Anatolia. A stalemate settled in until both sides went on the offensive in 1407. Suleiman crossed into Anatolia, while Mehmet sent his brother to Wallachia to ally with them and attack Suleiman from behind. Suleiman was forced to return to Europe to handle his brother, and this took years, two years to be precise. And in the meantime, Stefan Lazarevich turned against Suleiman despite their agreement, though Stefan's brother supported Suleiman, and so the whole thing turned into a nice little proxy war in Serbia. Finally, in 1410, all the major forces met outside the walls of Constantinople, and Suleiman unexpectedly won. However, all the brothers remained alive, and Suleiman took his victory as a chance to, well, be lazy and do nothing. By 1411, one of the other two brothers, Musa, captured and killed Suleiman. Now, his alliance with Mehmet was gone, and those two brothers were the only two remaining. Musa first tried to punish the Balkan powers, which had fought against him, but that went nowhere. Finally, in 1413, Mehmet had gathered enough allies to make it to Europe, defeat his brother, and become the only sultan. Okay, I left it out, but there's one brother who's been laying low for a while, but he was quickly defeated after this, and so he's not so important. The whole civil war lasted 10 years, but the Ottomans seemed, well, just as powerful as ever. Indeed, their rivals had actually taken some major losses by getting involved. A lot of the armies the Ottoman kind of forces were fighting with were comprised of Balkan and regional allies who took those heavy losses. And so somehow the Ottomans almost looked stronger at the end of the Civil War. In 1414, 
Sultan Mehmed invaded Bosnia and defeated the Hungarians there, destroying Hungarian influence in the country and extending Ottoman power there. At this point, he decided to turn and focus on improving the empire internally after, well, so many years of civil war. The exception, though, was in Albania, which had moved away from the Ottomans towards Venice during the whole civil war period, and now Mehmet wanted to bring it back into the Ottoman fold. But right around this time, an Islamic sheikh named Bedrin launched a religious and political rebellion. He pulled together a diverse coalition, which was brutally put down over four years, only ending in 1420. While this was happening, Mehmet invaded Wallachia, which had already, had already been paying tribute, but, well, I guess that didn't matter, because Sigismund of Hungary intervened and this whole war dragged on for a number of years, with the Ottomans ultimately failing to get their candidate on the throne. Now, Mehmet died of natural causes at age 42 in 1421, leaving his 16-year-old son to become Murad II. The boy's uncle, the exiled Mustafa, escaped his exile and worked with the Byzantines to take the throne, quickly taking the Ottoman capital of Bursa and then sending, defeating an army sent against him and converting the army to his side. However, Mustafa overplayed his hand and began to lose support before being captured and hung in 1422. Now, Murad, still on the throne, laid siege to Constantinople as revenge for their support of his uncle, but the siege didn't last long. The Byzantine emperor went to Buda to attempt to gain some help against the Ottomans, but to no avail, and so the Byzantine emperor was forced to agree to become an Ottoman vassal. In Wallachia, the Ottomans were pushed back, followed by them raiding along the Danube with the Hungarians. One more victory by the Wallachians and Hungarians against the Ottomans, and the Sultan finally gave up on trying to dominate Wallachia for the moment. Instead, the Ottomans invaded Serbia, but withdrew when the Hungarians got involved. Serbian despot Stefan Lazarevic then died and was succeeded by his nephew, who tried to exert Serbian independence against both the Hungarians and the Ottomans, but this only resulted in losing territory to both powers. The Ottomans also laid siege to Thessalonica. The Byzantines, remember, had sold it to Venice in an effort to kind of protect it more. The Venetians tried to negotiate with the Ottomans, but were refused. They tried again, and, well, this dragged on for six years, while Venice was also trying and failing to get some European support for the war that was basically now on. The Ottomans started attacking as Venice brought Albanian lords onto their side. But... You know, Venice had to accept that it was time for them to seriously get involved. They gathered other allies in Anatolia, Egypt, and Cyprus to fight with them. But in Thessalonica, starvation and the devastation of the city let the Ottomans finally take it, leaving it about 90% depopulated. As a result, peace returned to that region, but Albania saw an Ottoman force attack Duras, which failed. In 1432, the Ottomans successfully attacked Wallachia, but with not too many long-term results. Back in Albania, the Ottomans were installing a new noble class, resulting in many Albanians taking to the mountains to resist them. This revolt was put down, but the Ottomans would spend the next several years putting more and more rebellions, or putting down more and more rebellions, with a tremendous amount of blood being spilled. Now the Hungarian king slash Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund died at this point, weakening Hungary and really changing the geopolitical situation. 
Even the Byzantines attempt to get help by offering to join the Latin and the Orthodox churches was no use. The Ottomans invaded Serbia, taking its shiny new capital, and annexed it. Hungary's new king then dies, he was very young, only king for a short time, and the new king, Vladislav III of Poland, takes over. So Vladislav is now the king of Poland and Hungary. But Ottoman pressure was taken off when they were attacked in Anatolia, and so the Hungarians took this moment of respite to raid deep into Ottoman territory. But the very next year, the Ottomans were back. The result was some bloody battles between the Hungarians and the Ottomans in Transylvania. Ultimately, though, the Pope now called for a crusade against the Ottomans, and the forces of Europe listened. By 1443, they were ready to invade Ottoman territory. The Crusaders invaded and defeated the Ottomans in four battles, allowing a captured Albanian nobleman named Skanderbeg to flee back to his homeland from Ottoman servitude. By the time the main Ottoman army arrived, it was winter and their forces had implemented a scorched earth tactic around what's now Sofia, before retreating to a pass and awaiting the Crusaders. There, the Ottomans defeated the Crusaders, who were forced to return to Hungary, though they still declared victory. In the spring, they attacked again, as the Ottomans faced more military issues in Anatolia, and so this pressured the Ottomans to make peace, restoring Serbia as an independent country, though an Ottoman vassal, it was formally annexed. But still, King Vladislav was, well, didn't really care about the peace treaty he just signed and was preparing to continue the crusade anyways. In the meantime, Skanderbeg led a full revolt in Albania, crushing an Ottoman force sent against him. Soon, Ottoman ambassadors arrived in Hungary and negotiated peace again, paying a lot of gold to the Hungarians for it, but they kept on planning for the crusade, nevertheless. Finishing things up in Anatolia and thinking peace was at hand, Sultan Murad abdicated in favor of his son Mehmed II. But a month later, the crusader army invaded, baffling everyone who was thinking that peace was at hand, and this army headed straight for the Ottoman capital of Edirne. The Venetians tried to prevent the Ottoman army from crossing into Europe, but the Genoese assisted them and got the army from Anatolia into the Balkans. The Crusaders didn't really know this, and so they kept right on going. They took many fortresses along the Danube before arriving in Varna on the Black Sea, readying themselves to attack the Ottoman capital. However, then they unexpectedly met any Ottoman army twice their size. The Ottomans outmaneuvered and trapped the Crusaders, destroying them in battle. King Vladislav himself died, leading to chaos and civil war in Central Europe as a new king, Albert's son Ladislaus, was imprisoned by the Holy Roman Emperor. But in the meantime, war had broken out between former allies Skanderbeg and Venice, while General John Hunyadi rose to power in Hungary. This angered Vlad Dracul, who made peace with the Ottomans and tried and failed to get a supporter on the Moldavian throne, further souring relations between Wallachia and Hungary. Then Hunyadi invaded and killed him. But in the meantime, Skanderbeg was beating the Venetians, but so they actually decided to invite the Ottomans to attack him. The Ottomans did, taking some important, fort important fortresses before losing a battle to him. Venice then made peace with Skanderbeg, but the Ottomans kept right on fighting him. But now, Hunyadi was at the head of another crusading army and entered Ottoman lands. 
The Serbs sided with the Ottomans and it helped utterly defeat this invading army in Kosovo. Now, despite having to return to Anatolia to face an attack there, the Ottomans kept attacking in Albania and a major assault on the fortress of Kroje was repulsed by Skanderbeg. Hungary attacked Serbia as revenge for, well, them taking sides against them in Kosovo and took some borderlands before marrying the children of their rulers to make peace. Shortly after, Sultan Murad died and his son once again took full reigns as Mehmed II, and he immediately set about preparing a major attack on Constantinople. Mehmed also sent more forces into Albania, only for them to be defeated by Skanderbeg. By now, the Byzantines had really caught on with what was happening and attempted to prepare defenses against the coming Ottoman onslaught. The emperor again tried to get the Latin church to join with the Orthodox church in exchange for help, but the tiny remaining population of Constantinople said that they, well, preferred the turban. Constantinople therefore stood alone. By the time the Ottoman army arrived, it took just 57 days for the great city to fall. It was ransacked to some extent, but also preserved in some places, as it now became the new Ottoman capital. Mehmet proclaimed himself Caesar and the new Byzantine emperor. But while the Sultan had been focusing on the Byzantines, Skanderbeg had been making plans. So he sent another army against the Albanians only to have it too defeated. He now prepared to set two new offenses, one against the vassal Serbia and another against Albania. Those forces sent out against Serbia were laying siege to the Serbian capital when a Hungarian army arrived and defeated the Ottomans. The Hungarians then went ahead and raided some Ottoman territory. Back in Albania, no big surprise, Skanderbeg was still defeating every army sent against him. But his losses were mounting. In the meantime, relations between Hungary and Wallachia were poor again, as they were basically periodically attacking each other. But the Hungarians had a bigger problem. The Ottomans were back and laying siege to the fortress at Belgrade, which they controlled. The Hungarian forces were about half that of the Ottomans, but the, they controlled the Danube, the Hungarians did, and so they were able to break the siege. The Hungarians narrowly won the battle, but shortly after their general and leader, John Hunyadi, died, depriving Hungary of its great anti-Ottoman crusader. The Ottomans then focused on Albania again, invading with another army led by a former commander of Skanderbeg's. Once again, Skanderbeg won. Vlad the Impaler then retook control of Wallachia and purged it of any opposition. Then Hungary was plunged into chaos again when its young king died, leading the nobles to actually elect Hunyadi's son Matthias to the throne. But the Ottomans, they were still focused on Albania, this time sending the largest army yet. But when it arrived, Skanderbeg's forces were hiding. Finally, after months, the Ottomans just withdrew, and at that point they were finally attacked and defeated. In the meantime, the Hungarians and Bosnians were taking advantage of the death of the Serbian ruler to extend their influence there, angering the Ottomans who retaliated by invading and fully annexing Serbia once again. Mehmet then turned to Morea in southern Greece, which had stopped paying its tribute. It was conquered easily. Vlad the Impaler was also late with his tribute, uh, and, well, when envoys were sent to collect it, he impaled them. 
Now, the Pope was extremely concerned about the developments in the region and the kind of coming attack on all these Christian states and attempted to gather a crusade to resist the Ottomans, but this failed. Mehmet now turned to the Turkish Beyliks and the Emperor Empire of Trebizond on the southeastern Black Sea coast, conquering both fairly quickly. He now had to turn back to the Balkans to respond to the bloody raids by Vlad the Impaler and the death of his envoys. The first army sent against Vlad was defeated. And so Mehmet gathered an even larger army to march against Wallachia. Vlad responded with scorched earth and biological warfare before attacking the Ottomans at night and, well, causing some damage. Still, they kept on going, and by the time the Ottomans reached the Wallachian capital, they found 20,000 impaled Ottoman bodies. They had had enough, and so the Ottomans retreated. Mehmet sent another army into Albania, which was vulnerable as Skanderbeg was actually away, but Skanderbeg rushed home, ambushed, and defeated the Ottoman force. Mehmet quickly sent in three more armies. The first two were defeated, but a third was a little more cautious as it was commanded by a man who had served with Skanderbeg in Anatolia. Still, it too was eventually ambushed and destroyed. But Mehmet had been busy elsewhere specifically taking the island of Lesbos, which he did successfully. More good news came from Mehmed as his candidate Radu overthrew Vlad in Wallachia. Radu was actually Vlad's brother. Vlad met with Matthias Corvinus, the king of Hungary, to get some help, but was imprisoned instead. Then, the conflict in Morea sparked a broader Ottoman-Venetian war. Still, instead of focusing on any of these conquests, Mehmed was actually preparing an invasion of Bosnia. Unfortunately for its king, the population of Bosnia was actually more pro-Ottoman than pro-him. So the Ottoman force entered Bosnia and made quick gains, even convincing the Albanian rebels to sue for peace. The last king of Bosnia was captured and killed. And just like that, there were no more buffer states between the Ottomans and the Hungarians. But it was at this moment that Venice was actually getting serious about the war, pulling together a, cru- a coalition for a crusade which would attack the Ottomans in a pincer and reestablish the Byzantine Empire. First, though, the Hungarians pushed the Ottomans back out of Bosnia. Meanwhile, the Venetians had made some gains in Morea, but an Ottoman counterattack quickly erased any gains as Mehmet made his way to Bosnia. There, he forced the Hungarians to pull back. Venice was still on the back foot, and the Pope, which had helped to organize this coalition on their behalf, died. Still, in spite of all these setbacks for Venice, Skanderbeg kept defeating Ottoman forces sent against them. But the war was without a doubt going poorly. Therefore, Hungary signed a peace deal to get out while it was good. Mehmet then attacked Skanderbeg again, losing again, but inflicting some heavy casualties on the Albanians. He then invaded yet again, only to have another army destroyed. He soon faced two more Ottoman forces, but Skanderbeg defeated them yet again. Still, these victories couldn't help the fact that the war was stalling, and Venice was now fighting with the Knights Hospitaller in addition to fighting with the Ottomans. The Venetians then went on the offensive against the Ottomans, but basically met with no real success. So, By now, the Ottomans basically completely controlled Morea, and so they turned more of their focus to Albania. A massive Ottoman army was heading for the fortress of Kruje, 
But this time, Mehmet had learned how to counter Skanderbeg's tactics well. While finding success, Mehmet mysteriously took his main force home and abandoned the siege after a few months, building a fortress in central Albania instead. Skanderbeg went to Italy to seek aid, but squabbles amongst Italian forces meant no one was going to support him. One by one, he lost all potential allies. Still, he returned to Albania, gathered an army, and somehow managed to destroy the Ottoman force which kept besieging Kruje. But within months, another Ottoman army was back at the fortress. Skanderbeg attacked with inconclusive results, and the Ottomans ultimately retreated, though intact. But in Moldavia, Stephen the Great sneakily got Wallachia to give him a fortress, basically with some subterfuge, which greatly angered Mehmet because Wallachia was his vassal and he didn't like his vassals losing territory. But Mehmet was distracted elsewhere and so he couldn't respond. Seeing his vulnerability, though, Stephen of Moldavia decided to make his country a Polish vassal. In the meantime, Matthias Corvinus put down a rebellion in Transylvania and then moved to attack Moldavia. The Moldavians were outnumbered, but a clever surprise attack beat the Hungarians and nearly killed their king. Now, Mehmet turned to the Karamanids, a Turkish Beylik in Anatolia, and took most of their territory. A plague hit Albania, greatly weakening its ability to continue to resist the Ottomans. And while trying to formulate a new strategy, Skanderbeg finally died of malaria, ending a remarkable military career. Back in Hungary, Matthias was trying to conquer Bohemia and really angering the Austrians by allowing Ottoman forces to pass through his lands to raid their lands. Moldavia was also being invaded by the Tatars and then the Wallachians. Stephen the Great pushed them both back and built new fortresses to protect his lands. But the Venetian War was somehow still going on, and the Ottomans made some more gains. They were also conquering even more Karamanid territory in Anatolia, leading the Turkic Akkoyunlu to ally with Venice and attack the Ottomans in Karamanid territory. The Ottomans then marched off to fight Akkoyunlu, who, well, they didn't have any gunpowder weapons shipped to them from Venice, they just got captured, and so, with the technological difference, they were soundly defeated, and the Ottomans now comfortably dominated Anatolia. The Ottomans then turned back to Europe and attacked Venetian territories in Albania, but failed to take a major fortress before turning around and returning to Sofia, and then on to meet up with a vassal army in Wallachia before invading Moldavia, which is a long walk. By the time they arrived in Moldavia, it was winter, and what they met was scorched earth. They searched for over a month before finally finding the Moldavian army, only to be ambushed and defeated by it. Still, Europe refused to support Stephen in his ongoing fight against the Ottomans. Even worse for Moldavia, the Crimean Khaganate became an Ottoman vassal, and so the Ottomans and the Tatars gathered their forces to jointly attack Moldavia again. The Tatars attacked first and were routed. Then, the Moldavians met the vastly larger Ottoman army. Each side took heavy casualties, but Stephen ultimately had to retreat into Poland. The Ottomans tried to conquer the remaining fortresses, but failed and were ravaged by cholera, and so they returned home. Now, Stephen turned to the pro-Ottoman ruler of Wallachia, who was soon overthrown by Vlad the Impaler and Stephen in a joint invasion. 
The pro-Ottoman ruler then returned to fight and kill Vlad the Impaler. And Stephen ultimately managed to install his own anti-Ottoman ruler there, despite these victories. At this time, on and off fighting was beginning again between Hungary and Austria, while Mehmet returned his attention to Albania. He took an army there and offered peace terms, which were rejected. And so he turned north, conquering Zeta, and turned and tried to conquer the fortresses he'd failed to take before, namely Kruje and Škodre. He took Kruje, but failed to take Škodre. But he got to it shortly afterwards when peace was signed in 1479. With this peace, the Venetian-Ottoman War ended, and Venice lost vast territory and prestige. While some still resisted in Albania, for all intents and purposes, it was now lost to the Ottomans, It could serve as a jumping-off point for an invasion of Italy. And that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Next time, we'll recap the remaining half of season before, before beginning season five shortly. This episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. Check out the Bulgarian language version of the podcast at bghistorypodcast.com. 